everyone. Welcome back to church. We'll go ahead, open up in a word of prayer, and then uh, sing a few songs. Uh, but it's good to see you back. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving us a beautiful day, for giving us another day to live. I thank you for giving us safety. I pray that uh, tonight you would help us to worship you in the songs, to honor and glorify your name, and praise you for what you have done for us and everything that you've given us. I pray that you would give the speaker, the words that uh, you want <clears throat> proclaimed, and that uh, you would give us ears to hear. Thank you, Lord, so much for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, as usual, we'll go ahead and do our popcorn picking. So if you want to grab a hymnal, and again, if I don't know how to, if I don't know the song, you're more than welcome to come up and sing it. And if Miss Joanne doesn't know how to play it, you are more than welcome to come on over to the keyboard and play it as well. But uh, anybody have our first selection? We'll find out. <clears throat> 366. Is that, yeah, are, uh, yeah. Do you have another one that you want? If uh... Oh, oh, oh. I think I know it. Do you want because I live or, or because he lives or I live? Yeah. Well, hey, let's go for it. Let's go find out. Uh, 366, please stand. 366, I live. Oh, hey, you can come on up and sing. <laughs> I live, I live because he is risen. I live. I don't have that many toes, but good night. Okay. It's like, does the book go away? Um, let's do 815. Same song. There we go. Okay, good. <laughs> That's the one that I know, so that's why it'd be a little easier. 815. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
you, sir. Mr. Dunn? 87, the other side of the book. 87. <clears throat> Fairest Lord Jesus. And would you like to read the verse with that one? Fairest Lord Jesus. Let's do the first verse. One day. Would you like to read the verse with that one? <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Casting Crowns has a good rendition of this one. But uh, let's go ahead and sing 249. One day. Stand up for Jesus. Would you like to read the verse associated with that one? Thank you. Hymn number 730. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner, 
last one? Who would like to choose the last one? 548, all right. As the deer. Wonderful, wonderful song. Would you like to read the verse with that one, sir? Thank you, thank you. As the deer, 548. Sing the first verse and chorus. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship All right, open your Bible with me to Romans. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I did not say that. I said his head was not little. That's what I said. I had to, you know, had to be kind. Romans chapter number 10, there was a man by the name of Ralph, and Ralph was head over heels in trouble, and uh, he, was, he wasn't doing a whole lot to help himself, though, and a friend said, Ralph, you've got two hands, why don't you do something? Ralph said, I am, I'm wringing both of them. And uh, so often, we are like Ralph. We've got a lot to be concerned about, but I'm afraid that far too often, we're concerned about the wrong things. We're worried about the things with no real value or very little value in life, things that will not impact eternity. You know, as days pass, we are concerned with things like how people comment on our Facebook posts. You know, how people respond to things that, that we say or do that have very little effect. You turn on the news, and there's nothing good. <laughs> you know, you, you um, open the newspaper, and it's not any better. You know, everywhere you go, it seems like you turn and you find bad news. And sometimes we forget that there is good news to be found. There are good things that we can look to. And, and everywhere we go, it seems like there is, is discouragement, there's doubt on every hand. Everywhere we turn, there are concerns. But tonight, I want to preach to you a message. Are you concerned with the world's greatest concern? Are you concerned with the world's greatest concerned. I'll pray and then we'll jump into the passage tonight. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to be concerned with the things that you're concerned about. Lord, not that our concerns in our life are not important. Lord, I pray that the most important concern in all the world would be our main concern. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I say, first of all tonight, how much I enjoy being here this morning, my family, they really enjoyed the service. My, my wife had obligations at our church tonight, so she wasn't able to make it, but my wife and kids really enjoyed being here with you today. But Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, we find the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So as we read, we find that the Apostle Paul has dealt with several issues in this letter to the church at Rome. He has dealt with sin. We find that in Romans chapter 1 as he begins to deal with sin and man's sin nature. He moves on and he begins to talk about salvation, the answer to man's sin. He moves on to sanctification, but when we get to chapters 9 and 10, he now begins to focus on the nation of Israel and God's dealing with this nation. As we open to this passage, we see that his concern that he talks about is for his Jewish brethren, for their lost condition. He is concerned about his nation. And I think that if we would all be honest in here tonight, after talking about the news now, we would be concerned for our nation. We turn on the news, we're burdened, we, we uh, turn on Facebook, and man, we see bad things going on. And it seems that all around us, our nation is crumbling at its very foundation, and that's exactly where we find the Apostle Paul. They begin to twist up... Um, uh, the, the, the doctrines that they should believe. They've, they've taken the truth of God and turned them into a lie. And that's exactly where he was. We see, first of all, the reality of his concern. The reality of his concern. He says, brethren, verse one, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had a real concern for the souls of his nation. If you look back one chapter before, Romans chapter 9, verse 2, we can hear his heart again as he writes, and he says, Romans chapter 9, verse 2, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. He says, I have such a burden, I have such a desire to see my brethren, to see them trust Christ and, and to quit looking to themselves for salvation and their own works for salvation. He says, I wish I could be a curse for their sake. That is a burden for souls tonight. That is a burden and a heart to see people reached. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you have a heart to see people reached? Are you concerned to see people reached with the gospel? I love this banner on the wall, outside the walls. Is that a theme for this year? Or is that a ministry that goes on all the time? Previous year. Just to get outside the walls of this church and to impact this community. So often we're very comfortable with what goes on inside this church. Hey, we love one another and we talk to one another and we fellowship with one another and we, we try to bear each other's burdens, but we get outside those walls and we completely forget that the world is dying and going to hell. And our job is to reach those people. And that's exactly where he was. He says, I've got a desire to reach my nation. I've got a heart to reach these people. And, and he, he begins to talk about that he wished himself would be accursed so that they could be a reach. He had a desire for their salvation. He said, brethren, my heart's desire. What do you desire today? This word desire means a longing, a pleasure, a satisfaction. So what is it that you desire? Some people would desire a better job. Some people would desire a little bit more money. Some people would, uh, would have a desire for more notoriety, more fame. But the Apostle Paul said, my desire is that people would be saved. When William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was asked by the King of England uh, what the ruling force of his life was, here was his reply. Sir, some men's passion is for gold. Other men's passion is for fame. But my passion, my passion is for souls. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, as Paul began to talk about how bad men are and, and how every one of us stands in need of a Savior, Paul made this statement, I am debtor. 
I am debtor. What does that mean? It means that I owe somebody something. And Paul didn't just mean he, he owed one person something. He said, I owe the entire world the truth of the gospel. He had a desire for their salvation. David Brainerd, the great missionary to the Indians, said, I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. He says, when I dream, I dream of them. When I wake, they are the first in my thoughts. What are your, what's the first thing that we think about in the morning? What is the last thing that we think about before we go to bed? When we see the Apostle Paul, he says, the thing that I think about is the lost world around me dying and going to hell. And that is the same thing David Brainerd said. Can I tell you tonight, I'm not against a good job. I'm not against a person having a nice home or driving a nice car. But in question, the important question tonight is what is the main concern in your life? What is the overriding theme in your life? What is it that you desire? What is it that you want to see? How do you want to see God use you? You know, I'm not re preaching to a room full of teenagers tonight. And the thing that I preach to teenagers and tell them about is how that God has a purpose for them and that God has a plan for them. And the thing that I love about investing in the lives of teenagers is the potential. The things that their life can one day be. The way that God may one day use them. But can I tell you today that whether you're 15 or 75, God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. God wants to do great things for you. And, and the, the, the ability to give the gospel out does not end at 35 or 45 or 55 or 65. As long as there is breath in your lungs, you have the ability to give the gospel. You have the ability to share the truth. You have the ability to tell people that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he wants to have a relationship with them. And that is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I have a desire to see people saved. But according to a statistic, 98% of Christians never share their faith. So what that means is that 2% of Christians are actively sharing the gospel with people around them. That's a sad, sad statistic. Howard Hendricks said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. Has that ever been more true than today? There's a world around us, they're looking for answers. There's a world around us, they're looking for hope. They're looking for legitimacy somewhere. And the problem is, instead of Christians being willing to share the gospel and, and tell them about the, the truth of Jesus and the answers that are found there, we're, we're more concerned about being like them than we are sharing the, sharing the gospel with them. I enjoy hard preaching. But I realize when I preach a message like this, I'm preaching to me. Listen, I can stand up here and I can yell and scream and spit, but I'm just telling you, as I preach a message like this, God works in my heart as well. Because I realize that, that I'm not as serious about the gospel as I should be all the time. I'm not sharing the gospel in the way that I should. I'm going to tell you, if we're all honest, there's not a person in this room that shares the gospel as much as we should, that is concerned about the gospel as much as we should. And it's important today that we, we, we jump off the train of that 98% that don't share the, the gospel, and we jump on the train of the 2% that does share the gospel. You may think, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in ministry. I, I'm not at a church all day. I, I have to go to work. Exactly. Did you know that you'll reach people that a pastor will never reach? You'll go places that your pastor can never go. I have teenagers who will go into schools and, and talk to students that I'll never have access to. It's important for us to understand that it is the job of every child of God to share the gospel and to have a burden for souls. 
And we've gone through enough training on how to reach souls. We've read enough books on how to uh, reach souls. It's important that we go out and we reach souls. I don't know if you remember the the illustration uh, that that Dr. Baker gave when we were in college. He said that he found this book on prayer. He began to read this book. He stayed up all night reading the book and then fell asleep without praying. And I believe that so often that is the case with us as Christians. We know that we should share the gospel. We know how to share the gospel. We've been trained in how to share the gospel, but we do not do that. Vance Havner in his book, Why Not Just Be Christians, he said that years ago a a convention uh, met in Indianapolis, Indiana, to discuss how to reach the masses. He said one day during the convention, a young man stood on a box on a street corner and began to preach. He gathered a crowd, which he led down to the Academy of Music, where he preached to him again. But he had to be cut short for that service because the convention on how to reach the masses was soon to gather in that same auditorium. While the convention was discussing how to reach the masses, that young man was reaching the masses. That young man's name was D.L. Moody. God was using him to reach people while everybody was trying to figure out how to reach people. In the Gospels, there are 132 contacts that Jesus had with people that are recorded. Six were in the temple, four were in the synagogues, and 122 were out and about among the people. It's important that we understand that the goal is not just to hand people a track to get them to church. The goal is not just a, uh, an invitation to church, although that is great. The reason that we are trying to reach people is because we have got to understand that every person will end up in heaven or hell. Hey, we ride down the roads and we get bothered by the traffic. But have you ever stopped and thought that in, in that car that I just cut off or in that car that I just honked my horn at, there's a soul and that person will die and go to heaven or hell? Have you ever thought about that as you're sitting at your table and you're, you're eating food and the waitress is bringing your tea, that waitress is going to heaven or hell? Have you ever thought about that when you go to, to Walmart, you have a Walmart around here? Okay, good. I just didn't know. When you go to Walmart, and there's all those people, and you know, you're, you're running into people, especially this time of year, right? I mean, it's like bumper cars in there as you're walking and you turn around an aisle and you, you hit somebody and, not that I've ever done that before. And, uh, you know, you, you give a dirty look that that person has a soul. And one day, that person will die and they'll go out into eternity. And that eternity will be one of two places, heaven or hell. And our concern is that we get to the turkey the fastest, or, or we get that last pack of bacon before it's gone. Great thing to grab, by the way. Or that, you know, that we get that thing, that last ingredient that we need, and the last thing that we're worried about is if that person is going to heaven or hell, shame on us. We're so worried about ourselves, and we're not worried about their, their eternal souls. We, we see his desire for their salvation, but then at the end of verse 1, we see his prayer for their, their salvation. Brethren, my heart's desire... And prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, I am praying for them. This word prayer means supplication or begging God on behalf of another. So he is begging God. This word, uh, th- this phrase put together refers to a communion or a closeness with God. Can I ask you a question tonight? When is the last time you wept and you shed tears because somebody that you know is going to hell? When's the last time you begged and said, God, please speak to their heart. God, please do something. God, whatever it takes, save that person. Our God has not changed. We read about men like D.L. Moody and see how thousands of men were coming. Thousands of men and women, boys and girls, were coming to receive Jesus. And then we look at ourselves and go, why is that not still happening? 
We can blame it on society. We can blame it on maybe God's change. Here's the reality. We have changed. When Billy Graham died, I was uh, at my house, and I just I happened to, to open my phone, I think, that day, and there's Billy Graham's funeral playing on Facebook. So I clicked it, and it was, it was actually before his funeral started. They were playing videos and interviews, talking about him. And they said that uh, he went to, uh, to the um, USSR back in the day, back uh, at the height of the Cold War, and they actually allowed him to hold a crusade there. This communist dictator calls him in and says, Mr. Graham, what do I have to do to convert you to communism? And he turned it back around and said, Mr. President, what do I have to do to convert you to Jesus Christ and share the gospel with him? They said that as he stood in that, that huge stadium and he began to preach and it got to the invitation time and the music played, they did not have enough counselors because people were literally sprinting out of that stadium to come down and to receive Jesus as their Savior. Here's the reality. People are still dying. People are still going to hell. And we have no concern about it. It burns in my heart how little we care sometimes. When is the last time we shed a tear? When is the last time we said, God, please reach that person? When's the last time you said, God, please reach Hillsville? God, please reach this community. God, please reach this county. God wants to do it. God wants to save people. God wants to make a great difference. The problem is not with our God. The problem is with our heart. And he prayed to God for their salvation. And it's important that we pray to God for their, for their salvation. When we become close to someone, our hearts begin to have the same desires. Are you so close to God that you care about the things that He cares about? I'm not saying that God doesn't care about the condition of our nation, but what I am saying is that if we were more concerned about the souls of our nation, the condition of our nation would take care of itself. He was constantly concerned with the condition of these people. He was worried about their, their souls. He was praying for them. And it's important that we pray for God to do something in America. I'm not talking about an election. I'm not talking about Washington, D.C. I'm not talking about Richmond. I'm talking about God doing something great through His church. Robert Moffat. The great missionary said, Many a morning I have stood on the porch of my house and looked northward and see the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I've seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, he said. Villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in this world. The smoke of a thousand villages, he said. The smoke of a thousand villages. I think the same thing. I've been privileged to be able to go on several mission trips. I remember leaving Guyana, South America. It is um, it's a, the only English-speaking country in South America. We had a, held a crusade there. As you're leaving Guyana, South America, I remember on the right-hand side of that highway there, there's this statue, probably 75, 80 feet tall, of one of their thousands of gods, Hanuman, this monkey god. I don't know who serves a monkey, but they do. And those people go and they offer sacrifices and they bow down and they worship and pray to that monkey. And I thought about us, Halef Kayana, who's going to reach these people? I thought the same thing as I was in Trinidad in the Caribbean, just off the coast of South America. And every day as 
we were holding a VBS there. There was a uh, a store just up the street from the church, and we would uh, get a group of teenagers, and we would walk to the store and get the things they needed. As we would walk to the store, I heard for the first time in my life the Muslim called a prayer. We had to walk right past a mosque. It's one of the most eerie sounds you ever hear. And those people are going to hell. I remember several years ago going to the UK, going specifically to Wales. And you know, those people look like us. They talk kind of like us. It's a little bit funny, but they sound pretty much like us. And you know what you have? You have in Wales a place where God swept through with a great revival. Now you have an extremely small population that even believes there is a God. Recently, I went to Salt Lake City. A friend of mine, Pastor Ben Avery, is a pastor there now. I think, I think you, you went to college with Pastor Avery as well. Just outside of Salt Lake City, we, we got up after finishing uh, our revival there and drove down to the Salt Lake City airport at 4 in the morning. And as you're driving... Salt Lake City, the, the, the basin there is kind of, you have on one side, you have the Great Salt Lake. On the other side, you have this mountain range that runs along. So, so it's kind of a tight area. As, as we're riding along that night, sort of on the hillside of the mountain there, you just see neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood in Mormon country, Salt Lake City. You know what I thought about as I'm driving, to, we're riding to the airport that day? Who's going to reach these people? Who's going to tell these people? Hey, I appreciate Pastor Avery and the the other pastors in that area, but who in the world is going to tell all of these people? Because I've been to other places, New York City, L.A., different places, and you see throngs and throngs of people, and I just have to wonder, who in the world is telling these people? The sad answer is nobody's telling these people. And I think we may not see a thousand villages anymore, but I think of a thousand neighborhoods full of a thousand people, and nobody is telling those people. John Knox constantly carried the burden for his land of Scotland. Night after night, he prayed on the wooden floor uh, of his hideout refuge from Queen Mary. His wife would plead with him to please get some sleep, and he answered, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? Every night. Come to bed. He said, my land is not safe. How can I sleep? It's reported that often he would pray all night in agonizing tones. Lord, give me Scotland or I die. God shook Scotland. God gave him Scotland because God respects a passion for souls. And it's important that we're not just passionate about the things around us or the temporal things that we see, that we're passionate to see people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, share it with them, and have them begin a relationship with him. We see not only the reality of his concern, we see the reason for his concern. Look at verse 2. For I hear them bear, uh, I'm sorry, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. He said they've got a zeal. Their zeal is misplaced. I live in King, North Carolina. That would be south of here. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not a, uh, a great guy with directions. Super good, but you know, I, I can sort of get from place to place. You know, if I were to go out here tonight and get on 77 and go north, 100 miles an hour, 
I'd be getting somewhere, but I'd be going in the wrong direction. It'd just take me longer to get home if I did that. You know, that's the reality of the spiritual condition of a lot of people. They're going about it as fast as they can, with as much zeal as they can, but they're not getting any closer to God. Consider the zeal of the Muslim who is willing to strap a bomb to the body of their child so that maybe they can have a hope of getting to heaven. Consider the zeal of the Jehovah's Witness who's going to knock every door in your town and the next town and the next town and the next town, not only so they can share their lies, but that maybe their good works will get them into heaven. Consider the miles of bike ride for the Mormon trying to pedal his way into heaven. Consider the Buddhists who go around doing good works so that maybe his karma, by the way, karma is not a Christian thing, okay? That's a Buddhist thing. That maybe his karma will be good enough that in the next life he'll be a little bit better and then a little bit better until eventually he can work his way uh, in, into, into heaven. Consider the purity maintained by the Hindu who's doing everything in his power to ensure that he is reincarnated in the very best state possible. Consider the works of your good old boy neighbor as he does, does the very best he can. He's hoping that one day his good works will outweigh his bad works. He comes at Christmas time, he comes at Easter, but he doesn't know the gospel. And the problem is that whether it's the Jehovah's Witness, a Hindu, a Mormon, a, a Muslim, or your neighbor, they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth. The problem is not their works, just like it wasn't their works. The problem is their attempt to get to heaven without God. That sounds like our world today. Hey, they're trying to work to uh, to reduce their carbon footprint or, or to make things better or to, to leave a better world behind and, and to be more green and to be more good, in the, uh, to be better in those areas. But they're forgetting that there's a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them and wants to do great things in their life. We see their iniquity at the end of verse 3. He says they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Their problem is not their zeal. Their problem is they have not submitted themselves to God. People only need to trust the Savior. Paul could look back at a time when he was in the shoes of the people his heart was now broken for. He could remember a time where he killed Christians. He could remember a time where he was zealous for the law. He talks a little bit, uh, a little bit about it in Philippians chapter three, verse four, where he says, "If any other man thinketh that uh, he hath whereof he might trust in his flesh, I'm more." He says, "Anybody thinks they're good enough to get to heaven, I was better." He says, "I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee; concerning zeal, persecuting the church; touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless." Those things that were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. Our problem is that we're so good at sitting on a church pew, we forget what we were like before we came through these doors. Paul didn't know. Paul was burned before them because he used to be like them. And we need to be burned for people, not because of who we are today, but because we know who we used to be as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, of such were some of you. You know the good news about that verse? Anybody can be saved. It doesn't matter how bad you are, because people used to be that way, and now they're saved. He says, God can save anybody. Then we see verse, uh, verse number four, the remedy for their concern. He says, for Christ 
is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He talked about his burden for them. He talked about his concern for them. He talked about his prayers for them. He talked about their zeal that is misplaced and all their works going the wrong way. But he says, man, there's an answer. There is a remedy. There is something that God wants to do in their life. He says that Christ is the end of the law. See, these people went about trying to fulfill the law, trying to be good enough to get to heaven. And he said, I'm just telling you, your good works will not get you to heaven. Christ will get you to heaven. This word end, Christ is the end of the law, refers to the end which all things relate, the aim or the purpose. So the purpose of the law, the Bible tells us, is that the law was our schoolmaster, our school teacher, that would point us to Christ because we were not good enough to get to heaven. He says these people are doing everything they can to fulfill the law, but they don't understand the purpose of the law is that people would receive Christ as their Savior. What was the message he preached? Look down at verse 8. He says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What a simple message. You'll confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You know, I'm thankful for times that I have the privilege of sharing the gospel with people. And you know, when I share the gospel with people, I turn to those verses. The message that we share now, the good news that we talk about, the gospel that has the answers, is the exact same gospel that he shared in that day. It's the same gospel we need to share in our day. When we realize that God so loved the world, how can we not tell? Somebody said the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That is a heavy, heavy statement. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I don't want blood on my hands for the people that I've not told. For the people that I love, for the people that I care for, for my family, for those people that I work with, for friends that I hadn't told anything. Paul looked at people around him and he was concerned. There was a cowboy and he went to an old western town. He was a cowboy preacher and he felt that this was the town God was leading him to. He began to look around and try to find a building as he's sharing the gospel and seeing people saved and he finds an old bar. You know the old swinging doors like you saw in the westerns. He walks through and he sees it for the first time and he knows that it's the church that God's going to have him start. He starts the church and he tears down the bar and he refashions it into pews. And I mean, it is a great place. God's doing great things. And, and in, in the course of time, God moves into another town. Years later, he comes back to his town. And he's excited to visit this church that he started. He walks up, though, and he sees that it's boarded up. He finds a way and he gets inside. He looks around at all the memories, thinks about who used to sit here and who used to sit there and the way that God did so many wonderful things in that church. He looks above the back door where he'd put a sign where there is no vision, the people perish. But the W fell off, and now the sign said, here there is no vision, and the people perish. What is your vision tonight? 
What is your passion? What is your heart? It needs to be to see people saved. So I said, for God so loved the world, not just a few, the wise and great or noble and true, or those favored class or rank or who. God so loved the world. Do you? Earlier in the message, I told you about uh, a missionary by the name of Robert Moffat. Robert Moffat, who said, I've seen the smoke of a thousand villages. He talked about how there were all those people who had never been reached. Well, there was a young man in that service that night who heard those words and it rang in his ears. That young man was a medical student by the name of David Livingston. He thought about it. The smoke of a thousand villages where people have never heard. And it continued to ring in his ears, the smoke of a thousand villages. And all he could think about was those people in those villages who had never heard. He couldn't sleep that night. The Lord of Africa had, had rang in his heart. He had a desire to do a work there. He said, I want to reach people with the gospel. So he went to his wife Mary and said, Mary, will you go with me to the Northland? I want to open a way to the heart of Africa with the gospel. Mary answered and said, Whither thou goest, I will go also. And for the next 30 years, David Livingston forged his way into Africa. He opened up the interior of that dark and deep uh, uh, demonic con uh, continent there. He was attacked by lion, disease, and every attack the devil could throw his way. When David Livingston died, those Africans that he had reached with the gospel cut out his heart and buried it in Africa. They sent his body to be buried in London. On the left side of his uh, tombstone there is an inscription. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. After 30 years in Africa, the heart of David Livingston was to reach the gospel, and people around him knew that it was to reach people with the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, in our text, he says, How then shall they call on them of whom they have not believed? And how shall they hear of him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without somebody that's going to tell them? You know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned that we'll put money in the offering plate to go to a missionary to reach people around the world, but we are not willing to reach people ourselves. I'll just be honest with you. As much as we like money, it's really easy to throw money in an offering plate sometimes or to put it in an offering slot or to give online, however it is that you give. It's easy to do that once you get used to it. But you know what's always uncomfortable? is knocking on a door not knowing who's on the other side, but knowing that whoever is on the other side may stand in need of the gospel. You know what's really uncomfortable? Is going up to a complete stranger and trying to find a way to relate with them so that you can share with them the gospel. Listen, I've done it many, 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 many times, and it's uncomfortable every single time. It's bad. I'm not trying to sell them snake oil. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to sell them a, a used car that has bad issues. I'm trying to tell them that Jesus died for them, that God loves them, and that he can have a relationship with them. And what do, they, what do I do? I cower in fear sometimes. Here's the, the reality, though, is that we have the answer. We have what it takes to see people change their eternal destiny from hell to heaven. It's important that we have a reality about us.
that people can see a difference in us, that we're praying for people, that we have a burn for people. James Kogi said it this way, all to burn out for God, all for Him, Jesus only, souls, souls, souls. I am determined to be a winner of souls. God help me. Whitfield prayed, oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. There are all sorts of concerns in the world tonight. But I want to ask you this question tonight. Are you concerned with the world's greatest concern? If you are, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. Lord, I realize tonight that as I stand before people, and I share what I believe is your heart for souls, I see my own inadequacy tonight. I see my own failures. Lord, there's no doubt that every one of us in this room experience failures in this way. Lord, I pray that tonight you would help us to realize the need to share the gospel with the world around us. I pray tonight that you would work in hearts and lives in a way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Who'd been here tonight who would just be honest and say, I do not share the gospel and do not have a burden in the way that I should? That's you tonight. Would you just be honest and raise your hand? I think I might have missed some people. I think every hand in the room went up. Here's the reality we need to be willing to share the gospel. Can we just take a moment there in your seat? Just a couple moments of silence and be real with God. Give to him this need and then be willing to do something about it. starts with in that first verse Lord that desire that's in our heart Lord so often our desires are not your desire and we get caught up again in the issues of life and forget the main concern and that is there is a world dying and heading to hell without the good news that we know Lord just help us this week Lord I, I didn't get to see the hands but I know my hand was up as often as I, Lord as even I have the opportunity to share the gospel Lord I fail almost on a daily basis with opportunities you give me Lord help us to see every soul as a real soul that will spend a real eternity in a real place either called heaven or hell we have the answers Lord we have all the tools we have we have more today to opportunities today more different ways today to share the gospel than ever before but yet we're 
uh, doing it less, I believe. I believe that 2% that he mentioned of the, of the, of the Bible-believing Christians, Lord, I believe that's a good number, maybe even high. So few share their faith. My prayer tonight, Lord, is, Lord, that whoever raised their hands, who who's burdened by it, Lord, that you'd give them that desire again. You'd give them that desire, Lord, to see folks saved. and Lord, they'd walk out of this place, grab tracks on their way out, Lord, and uh, the, to give them something, just a good starting spot to share with and be able to walk people through the, the good news of the, the fact that Jesus Christ loved them so much that he died for them, was buried, raised again, and would save their soul if they'd call upon him and trust him. Lord, thank you for that wonderful message that saved our soul. May we now have that same burden to see others come to the saving knowledge with a personal, intimate relationship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we dismiss now, I pray that you put a hedge of protection around us this week. Lord, give us a good week. Lord, help us to have that desire and that burden again. And then, as my brother said, act on it. Not just say, not just feel, but do. Help us be doers of the word we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'll ask Brother Mike if you go to the back so folks can greet you. And, and everybody have a great week. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you. We're dismissed.